0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to episode 96 of the MTG Grandcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina with a special focus on the SCG tour. We are your hosts. I'm Chris Castor-Apple. With me, as always, Collins Mullen. Hey, Collins. What's up, Chris? Not much. We are recording from our new... Almost studio, new and improved. New and improved. Yeah, yeah we're, we're putting a thing together. We got foam on the walls, starting to make it look a little official. Uh, the blanket on the wall right now is maybe not the most official looking. I love it. Okay. I think it's great. Yeah, it really adds to your room. You know, <laughs> yes, it is a corner of my bedroom, but because I have the master suite, there's enough room for this. Yeah, it's a little great. studio corner. Um, so the goal is to trying to deaden the sound a little bit, end up with not quite as much echoes and stuff. So So hopefully it's a little lower. It's not going to be perfect yet until we get all the kinks worked out, but uh, we will see how that goes. Um, Before we get started, definitely want to thank our patrons. We have some new patrons this week and some people who have sort of up their tiers of support, which is really cool to see. I mean, definitely nobody has to do that or anything, but it's it's really nice and we really, really appreciate uh, the support that you guys give us. Really means a lot and will help us buy more acoustic foam in the future. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's all going towards acoustic foam <laughs> it's right just now. Just a lot. All of our budget. Other, yeah. <laughs> the acoustic foam budget is just through the roof at this point. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, David, Michael, and Andrew all edited their pledges, and we cannot say thank you enough. And also, you know, cannot say thank you enough to everybody who continues to lend us support, whether it's by uh, hanging out in the Discord, pledging on on Patreon, or just by like retweeting us on Twitter, or writing reviews on on iTunes, or even just like mentioning us to your friends and stuff is yeah. is all really really helpful. For sure, all of those are very great. Um, we we've actually been taking up slowly in listener counts over the past couple of weeks, and definitely f- feels nice. We want to reach as many people as we can with this stuff. So yeah. so thank you so much for uh, spreading the word a little bit. So, SCG Louisville was this weekend? Yeah. A modern event. Uh, We didn't put anybody in the top eight this time. Yeah, what a bummer. Uh, Yeah, very disappointing. (laughs) No final appearances from from our house. (laughs) What does the world come to? Yeah, pretty brutal. So, you guys mostly played Phoenix this weekend? Yeah. So, the entire team played essentially the all-in ascendancy version of Mm -hmm. Phoenix, where um, we were playing four ascendancies in Three Par- Nox. ascension, but, sorry, ascension? yeah, okay. ascensions, right? Kazan has been on. We yeah, Jeskai. I, I better not work. mess those up because <laughs> because we have tried to play Jeskai Ascendancy in Phoenix before. It was interesting. <laughs> it was um, an experiment. It was an experiment worth trying. Yeah, is, but yeah, for sure. But for this weekend, we were on three Noxious Revival, more cantrips, uh, just trying to go all in on the combo-y elements of it, <laughs> and we really liked it because we we figured that. Or it, in testing, a lot of the time our turn to Ascension draws could Goldfish kill on turn four, which yeah. is really solid. For Thing in the Ice, your plan is pretty simple: turn two Thing in the Ice, flip it, turn three or turn four, and you know you can get a lot of damage that way. Mm-hmm. But with Ascension, you turn to Ascension, turn three, you're trying to kind of scramble to turn it on. And then turn four, you like if you have a metamorphos you can really just turn through your entire deck and, mm-hmm. and you know bolt them a couple times and yeah, have some Phoenixes. Yeah. So that was kind of the idea for that weekend for us. And we, we took pretty good results. Uh, I was the only person who did not make day two of the open mm-hmm. on the deck. Uh, everybody else made day two, and they all kind of had medium day two finishes. Evan Whitehouse ended up losing his winning in to... Humans, yep. which is a specific matchup I want to talk about because I think that the prevalence of humans that weekend was something that we kind of underestimated, and the combo version of Phoenix is much worse against humans. We're cutting our gut shots for noxious survivals. Noxious revivals. survivals. Not really what you want to see in the humans matchup. Yeah, that matchup I think goes from like pretty favorable from the normal you know phoenix build to pretty unfair kind of bad yeah Yeah. pretty bad yeah yeah and i mean this is why and and we'll talk about this more when we get to the modern section but Mm -hmm. you know we were all talking about this before the tournament like which version of phoenix to take pretty much everybody was thinking that we wanted to, to play phoenix this weekend yeah but figuring this out and i mean i i played this version of the deck this is the version of the deck that i played in the classic in richmond yeah but my feeling on it after that was, like, if people are going to be playing humans. Yeah. This is not the build that you want to be on. <laughs> yep. Yeah, And you were correct, for sure. Because what did you play in the finals? Was it, it was humans? Oh, I lost to humans. Okay. But yeah. I also multiplied both games. Sure. So okay. it was, like... So not, not a, you know, super telling match. But, anything, but. I, I've played enough games with yeah. Phoenix overall, like, and against humans mm-hmm. that... The fact that you just get locked out if there's a Thalia and a Meddling Mage naming Lightning Bolt game one, mm-hmm. and you just can't play Magic anymore. Yeah. Um, it's rough. That's really rough. Yeah. So, And Lightning Bolt is usually the first card they name with Meddling Mage anyways, even if they don't know you're on the combo version. Yeah. So unless they really believe they have to name Metamorphos or whatever. But if they have a Thalia, then Meddling Mage goes after Lightning Bolt, and that becoming a hard lock against you is, like, kind of spooky. Right. Yeah. But speaking of Phoenix, I would like to theme our Keeper Mull this week. You know, keep it on that that Phoenix theme. Um, And this was really interesting. I watched this on stream. I I was not at Louisville this weekend, but I did watch as much of it as I could. And I remember being kind of surprised by Ross Miriam's mulligan in his winning in Game 3 against Valakut. And certainly Jerry and Brian were also surprised that he mulliganed this hand. And then Ross afterwards, you know, very helpfully just posted a write-up of it on the internet yeah. talking just through his Just laid logic. out his entire thought process. And yeah. if you if you haven't listened or if you haven't read it yet and have the time to do so, I highly recommend it. It was very well put. Yeah, yeah. So that's on his Twitter. I've got a link to it in the show notes for people who have access to those. Mm-hmm. But so the hand, this is game three against Valakut on the play. And the hand is two times Arclight Phoenix, Faithless Looting, Thought Scour, Sleight of Hand, Lightning Bolts, and a Polluted Delta. Yeah. So it's one land, Faithless Looting, Phoenix, Cantrips, mm-hmm. and then a Lightning Bolt. Yeah. I think that it's very easy to look at this hand and say, you just got to keep this on the play. Right. It's most of the way towards double Phoenixes in play on turn turn two is not that likely turn three is pretty likely yeah you have the cantrips to find your lands but then actually that's it that's what you have in this hand is you have early phoenixes and you have cantrips that are kind of assigned to finding lands at this point yeah the question is is that good enough and ross felt that it wasn't and i think most people think that it is so i don't know if you've You know, given a lot of thought to this. Yeah, well, I have. So I read through his thought process, Mm -hmm. and kind of the TLDR on that is that he felt like the matchup was pretty purely a race, Mm -hmm. and he felt pretty pressured to kill his opponent by turn four or five. And if he can't do that, he felt like he was going to lose a lot of the time. Yep. And he kind of did the math on when that hand killed, and it was like a five. Turn five kill mm-hmm. if everything goes cor- like goes well. All right, you got to hit um, your lands. You have to hit your second land. If you don't, you're dead. <laughs> yeah, you have to make sure that you can like get the phoenixes in play, and and your opponent doesn't have a uh, graveyard interaction piece, which they they're playing plenty of post board. Yeah, I um, mean probably like. Three or four total, like, Damping Sphere's Relic and Progenitus effects is is what he was considering. He knew about Damping Sphere. Mm -hmm. He assumed some number of uh, relics, I'm sure. So that's, like, you know, five or six cards that your opponent could have. Or maybe not five or six, but, like, maybe five or six. I don't know. Cards that your opponent could have that completely shut off your hand entirely. Mm -hmm. Like, if your hand is all cantrips and your opponent plays a Damping Sphere and you're, you know, trying to get Phoenix's out of the graveyard as your only plan... He, so he, for kind of all of those, a combination of all of those reasons where he just felt like too many things could go wrong, mm-hmm. he decided to mulligan. So the things that we're mulliganing for here, like the things that we want, are right. ideally like Thing in the Ice is kind of a better clock against them because it's not vulnerable to graveyard hate. It's less vulnerable to Damping Sphere, and they don't tend to have a lot of removal that can actually kill it because it has four toughness. Yeah. And also... He's got pretty good disruption in his deck between three moons and a couple of spell pierces. Um, Those are ways to stop whatever Valakut is doing in the early turns. Mm -hmm. And so that's that's what he's going for, is a hand that's doing that stuff more than being so reliant on these phoenixes working out and just being fast enough. Right. So I read a a little bit of the Twitter response to this, Mm -hmm. and Sam Party responded with something that kind of resonated with me, where he said... I really like your thought process. I think that you came to the wrong conclusion. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of the reasoning that he gave was like, you know, oh, what if XYZ happens or whatever? Yeah. And he kind of only listed out the worst case scenarios. Mm -hmm. And it is good to illustrate those worst case scenarios for sure. Yeah. But if you're, you know, if you're trying to decide between two options and you only list out like the worst case scenarios for option A. You're not getting the whole picture. You're not really getting the whole picture. Mm -hmm. There are... Probably more ways that this hand goes right than goes wrong mm-hmm. in my mind. I think that you know, if you find a uh, one of your moons with these cantrips, which yep. you're pretty likely to do, you know, you're digging really deep mm-hmm. with all of these cantrips and everything. Like your deck is entirely cantrips. This deck is the best deck at finding sideboard cards. Yeah, you just you know, you'll just get there. You're you're drawn. You know, you're seeing like nine cards by turn three or something. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. So you know, I think that. With this hand, if he, like, you know, even if he gets, like, uh, his graveyard disrupted, he can't get out uh, his Arclight Phoenixes or whatever. That can happen, and he could find one of his moons to turn off his opponent's deck and then, you know, kill them normally. Right. Or I think it's pretty likely that, you know, because he has so much drawing power, he's going to be able to sculpt a hand that kills by, like, turn five, six, and, like, maybe has, like, a spell piercer disruption or something. Mm-hmm. I just think that there, with this hand, there's, like, more ways that it can go right than it can go wrong. And I, th- I think that it's likely that Ross found himself in a scenario where he was, like, thinking too much about the worst-case scenarios and kind of, like, came up with really, really sound logic as to how those scenarios could come up and use that to kind of find the lower percentage option, uh, which is interesting. I I think, and I don't want to be, you know, psychoanalyzing Ross from a distance here <laughs> or anything like that. but I will. What's but this Ross? is this is something that I have experienced in myself yeah in that if you mulligan this hand you're kind of deferring the responsibility of keeping a hand like this yeah um mm-hmm. and and you know in the highest pressure situation that he's probably faced that tournament which was his winning in game three yeah yeah and so yes there there is a reasonable amount of risk to, to this hand and it's not that you're like particularly likely to miss a land drop here you're actually extremely likely to make yeah. your second land drop here yeah. turn one looting turn two slight you're just That's a lot of cards you're really you're looking really deep like you're more likely to make your third land drop with this With this, then, like, Jund on a two-land hand is to make their third land drop. So, yeah, so like, you know, but it is a risky hand in that the things that Ross was talking about, like he might lose the race or there might be a damping sphere on turn two and he just doesn't have a way to answer that. Those are the risks because you don't have all the stuff set up for it. But, and Ross knows this better than anybody, like, Phoenix is great at dealing with the stuff that your initial hand couldn't deal with. You get there a Mm -hmm. lot because you see so many cards. Um, And I've definitely like felt this in myself when I have a hand that is like borderline and it requires like a choice to keep it. And it's easier to let fate decide. It's easier to just say, okay, (laughs) let's just toss it back (laughs) right whether or not that's the right decision yeah and then you draw your six and you're like well this hand is terrible too there was nothing i could have done i had to mulligan that first one and then it's Uh just all that like weight of the decision making is like off of your shoulders at that point you don't even need to play well for the rest of the game because you're just dead so you know it it relieves a lot of pressure and i don't know if that's what ross was going through here Mm -hmm. but i'm wondering if that was a factor in in this mulligan because yeah like you have to take this hand upon yourself to keep it, and that becomes part of your, like, story of the tournament afterwards. Yeah. But I do I do agree. I, I really like what you said about there's a lot of ways that this hand goes right. This mm. hand is completely capable of just playing a Blood Moon on turn three. Right. Like, it's, it's very possible that that happens. Yeah. I mean, you need a lot more pieces. You need two lands and the Blood Moon to do it. Right. But, I mean, Blood Moon on turn four, also pretty yeah. good. But with, you know... With if we're looting on turn one, which I think that we are, yeah, it's just a draw two. It's just a draw two, and you're so likely to find, like, you could in those like next three draws find a land and a two drop to play, mm-hmm. like a you know land thing in the ice right. as well, or right. a land metamorphose, in which case you phoenix them on turn two. Yeah, we're getting three looks at um, a thing in the ice for turn two. Like right, yeah. So so and, and you know like Ross broke it down. It's about a ten percent chance that you're making these phoenixes on turn two. That's mm-hmm. not very high, but. This hand does just have a 10% chance to win the game, no questions asked. Right. The other 90% is all, you know, there's magic playing and stuff there and your opponent's actions matter, Mm -hmm. but you got to keep the hands that are reasonable and have just a 10% shot to just automatically win the game, I feel like. Also, the concerns about your opponent doing an interactive thing on turn two, I'm not sure, and I don't know exactly how his opponent was playing the games before, But I don't know that that's a thing that Valakut players often are going to or can afford to do on turn two. Taking your turn two to play the Damping Sphere in anticipation of like, oh, they're going to Phoenix me really hard on the next turn means taking off your first Farseek turn. Right. Uh, That's like a really big deal because then you're just down a mana for the rest of the game at that point. And especially like if it's Relic, leaving up a mana to Relic them on turn two, that's not unless you go like turn one relic turn two explore put an untapped land into play which is not very common anymore yeah it's just not likely to be the play pattern there yeah for sure and it's i know that it's definitely not something that the Valkyrie player is going to be mulliganing towards mm-hmm. i think that if the Valkyrie player has like a reasonable hand without one of those pieces they're they're going to keep it yeah um, and and as much as phoenix is the best deck at finding its sideboard cards valakut is the worst deck at finding its sideboard. <laughs> oh look cards. a sideboard card <laughs> Solid. That's, that's very surprising <laughs> yeah so yeah i mean like i think it's really good that ross thought through all of this stuff mm-hmm. and it's 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 a mistake to just keep this hand and be like this hand is great obviously it has phoenixes and faithless and you're supposed to think about all of the things that ross thought about uh and i think most people wouldn't have i'd probably would have just kept his hand yeah and i'm i'm glad that he he talked about this after everything though i i'm with sam party like i i think good to think about this stuff i admire his reasoning but i can't come out the same way on this hand right yeah but definitely worth a read you know yeah for sure and check out his twitter yeah i agree all right so the tournament itself Mm -hmm. so you guys all played phoenix yeah so you know evan did well with it i know dylan top 32 with it yeah i Um, want a match you want to match, okay? Oh yeah, it was great. That's a rough. So was it? <laughs> so what happened? Was it those? Was it the Pyromancer Ascensions getting in the way? Was I... it Noxious Revivals not being the card that you needed? Or all of my? I feel like this is the second time this has happened to me recently. So I need to like reassess something. Mm-hmm. All of my testing with Phoenix was with the other build. Okay. And I just wasn't ready for this new noxious shenanigans right the deck felt very very different to me just in the like you know in the plans like and like oh i didn't like i can slam my uh ascension here and you know know that i can just like try to stall until i goldfish out and kill them mm-hmm. like on a particular turn all like all in one go and my objective should just be staying alive you know there was a lot of those things and you know that wasn't the only thing and i you know I'm, i can i'm sure i can play the deck well but um That was definitely a factor where I I made some judgment calls that were wrong because I was playing a different version of the deck. Mm -hmm. Um, But also, the deck is much worse to graveyard hate. Yeah. Yes. And I lost several times to just like black green decks with a spell bomb bomb or something. And I just like couldn't beat it. Graveyard hate. Yeah. And it really sucked. And they were like, all right. Turn one, Niall Spellbomb. And I was like, sure, okay, I can grind through that. Turn mm-hmm. two, Tarmogoyf. Mm-hmm. I don't have enough time to grind through I, this. I don't have any lightning axes in my deck. This Tarmogoyf is just going to kill yeah. me. Yeah, uh, I'm like just on Bolt's main. That's it. That's all I got. Right. And, and this Tarmogoyf is already yeah, a 3-4, right. so... <laughs> yeah, so I, like, my first three rounds were against just like black-green variants. There's like actual black-green. I played against uh, black-green Shadow, Zoo, mm. Team of Battle Rage, Become a deal, yeah. And then... I think I played against some other weird black green version that wasn't normal, but but yeah, they just kind of like had graveyard disruption post board that I couldn't deal with. Mm-hmm. I easily got them game one because you know yeah I I had a lot of good tools for it, but yeah, yeah that and then and then also I ran into humans once and that matchup felt really unwinnable. It's hard. I yeah. mean, you're you have several just strictly worse versions of the cards that you have in the other deck basically, mm-hmm. and you can still if you have the thing in the ice on turn two yeah. the matchup is very winnable right especially if they don't reflect their mage it but other than that like you have to be going off pretty hard with multiple phoenixes early and block and block and block mm-hmm. until you finally have stabilized yeah um because there's no just like buying a ton of tempo by gut shouting their one drop and then right. clocking them and putting yeah. them on the back foot that's so much harder with this version of the deck yeah so I definitely felt like there were, you know, there's definitely pros and cons with the deck. And the team now currently after the tournament is split on whether or not we want to stick with the Noxious Revivals or kind of go with the more traditional build. Let me guess it um, is Ethan and Dylan who did well with the deck and are totally fine with playing <laughs> that version. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, n- uh, yeah, I mean, so Abe, Abe, I think is off it evan loves it dylan likes it as well uh yeah so you're 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 pretty much i mean yeah i feel like there's a little bit of like results based yeah we're a little logic kicking in i mean you want to play like you you have success with a version of a deck and you would like to just keep rolling with that and i talked to evan about it you know after the tournament he was like yeah every time i played ascendancy or ascension on turn two Uh, my opponents died on turn four and i was like yeah of course they did (laughs) you know (laughs) yeah yeah. Yeah, it didn't happen because they weren't just like hitting you with mantis riders instead of dying right yeah and playing thalia's and whatever but you know so it is interesting and modern right now is definitely an interesting spot there's a lot of things going on that were intriguing a lot of phoenix i think Mm -hmm. phoenix is going to be Continue to be pretty heavy, a popular choice. There's a lot of humans. Mm-hmm. Dredge had a phenomenal weekend. Not um, only at the Open, mm-hmm. uh, Oliver Tomiko won the Open with it, but yep. also, I believe, in the Magic Online PTQ on Memorial Day this past Monday. Yeah. I believe the top 32 was. 25% Dredge and 25% Blue-White Control. So that's just like mm-hmm. half of the top performing decks right yeah. there are Dredge and Blue-White Control. Yeah, Blue-White Control is the next deck I was going to mention. Okay. Where it's definitely gotten... A lot of people have been talking about it recently. Mm-hmm. So it's gotten that kind of like popularity boost. But also it just seems great. These cheap Planeswalkers. Yeah, people are, people are starting to figure out like better builds for the deck. Kind of trimming on Cryptic Commands, playing more... Like, you know, regular modern playable cards. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, and I think Narset is a big part of that. Yeah. Like, you don't need to be buying card advantage with this, like, super expensive, like, weirdly tempo y card. Yeah. Cryptic, counter a spell, go up a card. Right. Okay, like, fine. Like, this yeah. is one of the few ways we can actually get card advantage. But now with, like, Narset, y- you have real ways to get card advantage, yeah. it feels like. Yeah. And Narset is crazy good <laughs> it's really really strong i i think that that shell is just a narset deck yeah you know um and and so probably the way to aim with blue eye control is like trying to figure out the ways to maximize narset yeah like spells that kind of block Run interference for Narset so you can maximize your chances of minusing yeah. it twice. And Yeah, Narset's really good. Dovin's veto is also phenomenal right now. <laughs> yeah, no um, kidding. Which feels weird to say that, like, a slightly better negate is phenomenal right now, but it just is. It's great, yeah. 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 It's just really good, so... Oh, and Narset does one thing for the blue-white deck that I think is really important, which is that like you have cards that are really, really good in certain matchups and really, really bad in other matchups, and Narset does a really good job of getting the good cards into mm-hmm. your hand. Yeah. So yeah. Finding your wraths, finding your, mm-hmm. you know, whatever you need is yeah. Yeah, really strong. For yeah, sure. definitely. Yeah, so I'm not, like, super excited about it, but it does seem like there's a reasonable chance... That I end up on blue-white control. Yeah, I know the... you hate that deck. Yeah, I mean, it might <laughs> just, just feel Phoenix different. Express, I'm pro. honestly, like, odds are that I just end up playing Phoenix. Yeah. No, Phoenix is definitely, honestly, probably the best deck in modern right now. I am scared of Narset, mm-hmm. but... There are things that you can do if there you're are worried things about Narset. We can do, yeah. Play Snapcaster Mage. Snapcaster right. is a three-mana play that deals pretty well with uh, Narset. Just Bolt. I think that that's very likely to be a route that I take. Yeah. Yeah. I think snap is a fine response to that, Mm -hmm. you know, is not awesome. If there's a rest in peace in play, if we're playing a post board game and that's like the way that they've decided to approach the matchup, even though it's, it's this weird, like complicated dance where like against the very original Phoenix builds, like people thought rest in peace was good, but it really wasn't very good because it mostly turned off your path to exiles. Right. (laughs) Uh, your snap path to Exiles. But once there are even just a couple of Pyromancer Ascensions in the deck, then Rest in Peace becomes a way better card in the matchup. Yeah. And then that makes your, like, Snapcaster plans, like, a little bit wonky, but still okay. And you can still pressure a Narset with an Ambush Viper, so... Yeah, yeah for sure. That's a whole activation off of a Narset. It's nice. Yeah, and, and like... May you know if they have to use a removal spell on your Snapcaster Mage after it's punched an at once, like that's a pretty decent sized win for you. Yeah. So probably that will be what I focus my energy on. So so like I kind of want to focus this episode when we're talking about modern and standard. Like w- we're aiming for the Invitational now. Like that's yeah. what we're thinking about. Yes. Um. And so I want to use my time as efficiently as possible when I'm preparing. I don't have as much time to play Magic as. You know, some of the other guys in our house, uh, yeah. all of the other guys in our house. <laughs> Everybody's just always jamming <laughs> arena and Chris is like running around like, oh, God, I want to watch, but I have things to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I also like just got home from work. So. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. So I don't have as much time to prepare as other people do. I'm going to try to like focus in pretty hard starting uh, tomorrow and Probably the best use of my time in Modern is, for me, is going to be to focus on the deck that I already know how to play pretty well and make sure that I have the best 75 cards of it that I possibly can, given what I expect to play against. Yeah. And so that's going to mean figuring out Phoenix, figuring out that blue-white matchup specifically, probably trying to focus test some, like, just jam against Jeremy as much as I can. Yeah. And, yeah. No, I mean, sounds like a great plan. for Sure. I'm going to do a little bit of exploring. Uh, I think I'm gonna be trying out Dredge, mm-hmm. and whether or not I end up playing Dredge, I think is gonna be based on my read of how ready people are gonna be for Dredge at the Invitational. It um, always kind of is, right? Yeah. Uh, so you know, Dredge is great, and it seems like it was in a really good spot going into this weekend. Mm-hmm. Nobody was really talking about it going into this weekend, which yeah. set it up for a, you know a good spot. Right. The thing everybody was talking about was. Karn, the great creator. Yeah, so no, for sure, Karn did not have a good weekend. Uh, no, not as impressive given given yeah. all the hype we were seeing yeah. coming in. So I'm, I'm pretty off the Karn shells at this point. I think that Karn is definitely very good, but I think that the level of hype that it received did not really justify um, how good it was, or the other way around. It wasn't. was not justified. The hype wasn't justified quite yet. Yeah. I have a strong feeling that these carn shells are just harder to build they're really tough people are yeah the, the work just hasn't been mm-hmm. oh my god sorry i'm just seeing some of these numbers mox tantalite the mox spoiled in modern horizons apparently started pre-ordering at like Seventy dollars and is now down to twenty three dollars because people realized it's just completely unplayable. So if you want to spend twenty three dollars on an unplayable magic card, you're welcome to. Well, but some people already spent seventy. Um, <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Sorry, that card's not good. Sorry, definitely off track here. I was just trying to bring up some decks. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. So Karn, clearly very powerful. Clearly tough to build. I so you yourself s- sideboard slots in modern is a cost you have to be mm-hmm. very certain about before yeah. paying. The week after we initially talked about potentially putting Karn in Tron, yeah. I built a deck and the deck that I built was like it was like 6 cards away from what people ended up on mm-hmm. for for like Karntron, right. as we see it right now, one of the cards I missed was Trinisphere, which was huge. But, yeah, that's an important one. <laughs> um, but when I played the deck, it, it it missing those sideboard cards was really relevant. It hurts. Yeah, you're like down a Thragtusk or whatever. Yeah, and, and that's really bad. Like you really need those cards in some matchups. Yep, Tusks and like Nature's Claims and stuff like that. One place where Karn did look pretty good, at least on coverage, and then it showed up in the top 16 of the tournament. Oh, not quite top 16. Just barely missed top 16. Alex Hahn, Ricky Thorson on Eldrazi Tron. Oh, yeah. I think Karn is a lot better in Eldrazi Tron, mostly because your sideboard options in Eldrazi Tron are kind of trash anyways. (laughs) Yeah, 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 for sure. Now we have a use for these slots. We're not, like, reaching for, exactly just some stuff. You can only run so many, like, dismembers and surgical extractions in your sideboard. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, you can just sort of put... 13 artifacts in your board and sure. you're totally fine Yeah, because you can't cast good cards anyways Right. I do not want to play Eldrazi Tron in a world where like Reflector Mage is going to get cast against me in a tournament yeah that was kind of always Eldrazi Tron's problem was mm-hmm. humans and I think whether or not you play this deck is really dependent on how good you think Chalice of the Void is specifically mm-hmm. if you have a read on Modern and you're like Chalice of the Void is great. I want to play the best Chalice of the Void deck. Yep. It's probably a pretty good one. On. Yep. Outside of that, it's just a little underpowered. Yep. Um, It's a little slow. It's a little clunky. Mm-hmm. It's not great. You kind of get speed up on by a lot of stuff. Yeah. I think Karn does add a reasonable dimension to this. Yeah. And um, Blast Zone helps a lot with the humans matchup. For sure. Uh, Blast Zone's great. Uh, but, you know, in a deck that's not like immediately getting to a bunch of mana, Blast Zone is really slow and right you know you can definitely die before you can pop it on two and you're like payoff for sweeping humans is not like okay i did a little human sweep and now i'm going to get up to enough mana and i'm going to like ugin or ulamog and just completely lock them out of the game your payoff after that is a five five yeah which like maybe (laughs) their guys are just bigger than at that point (laughs) right yeah or like they're forced to trade a mantis rider for it yeah okay great So, right, I mean, but, like, yeah, like, the the humans matchup for this deck is not really up for debate. It is bad. Um, Chalice of the Void is terrible against humans, so that's not a big coincidence. Yeah. If you really just want to beat up on Phoenix, like, sure, play Chalices, and... I mean, I don't really know how good this deck's Phoenix matchup is. It seems, like, really bad if you don't have the Chalice, so that probably is, like, a 50-50 matchup then. Yeah, I mean, you're leaning pretty heavily on dismember for if your if your draws line up well yeah like you have the dismember for their thing or you have a chalice or you have the graveyard hate and they're on a phoenix draw those are like the ways that you can win so you can certainly win but mm. things have to go right for you but phoenix is going to do its thing every time right yeah and and like that's kind of been the fundamental problem with this deck is just like the the suite of here i have all these colorless aldrazi creatures they don't actually match up that well against, like, basically anything in all of modern. Right. You have to have your, like, specialized hate card for that moment come in at the right time, and then they can then your creatures can beat them. Right. Um, and that's kind of how the deck works. So it's not my favorite type of deck to play. But I do think that it, it provides a reasonable home for Karn. Mm-hmm. Um, I know a lot of people are trying Karn in Amulet, but the one successful Amulet deck this weekend, Matthew Dilk's just, like, you know... Top aiding his infinityth modern event <laughs> right. in a row. Yeah. I if you click okay. You click his name and you see like he's played like four modern opens and top aided all of them. <laughs> and also just like top aided a modern regionals in there too, and also this team event where he played modern. Right. Um uh, so No, Dilk's is Dilks is insane. I, yeah. and he's pretty Uh, pretty much proved it at this point which is great just Um, frowning his way into another top aid just really you know (laughs) having a terrible time not enjoying (laughs) himself at all yeah (laughs) crushing people Uh. has to you know has to disgrace himself with everybody else's presence (laughs) it's definitely the attitude that he has Um, it's pretty amazing actually Um, yeah for sure yeah so amongst the top amulet players there's mm -hmm. definitely been a lot of split opinions about Karn in Amulet. Yeah. Uh, I know Edgar likes it a Mm -hmm. lot, and he's definitely, you know, one of, if not the person I would, you know, respect the most. Yeah. Um, Nobody has done more work on the deck. Right. You know, Dilks doesn't like it at all, Mm -hmm. but he's had the most success with the deck. Rossum likes likes Karn. Some other players don't like Karn. I think Daryl Ayers doesn't like Karn. Mm -hmm. So no consensus yet no consensus yet and i think that it it might just turn into two different decks (laughs) potentially based on like if if like you know successful people are working on different versions of the deck they're both going to continue to have success and that may be where we're missing the boat with karn is slotting it into decks and just like taking four cards out of the main deck and five cards out of the sideboard to fit it in it's not that's pretty bad deck building overall for sure for sure Um, So I think that the decks that are introducing Karn have a lot more evolving to do. Yeah, I will say, that said, though, I think that Amulet Titan is, from what I've seen, the best home for Karn. Mm -hmm. Of all the decks, I think Amulet has the highest potential to make Karn busted. Because no other deck can play Karn on turn two. But there are a couple of draws that Amulet has. Well, one other deck can play Karn on turn two. And Which that's is... if you're playing Arbor Elf and Utopia sprawl. Oh, excuse me. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> there is that deck as well. Uh if you're into some Sahili Rai Felidar Guardian nonsense. I know, I know one person who is. Well, yeah. <laughs> Maybe two. We've 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 seen some work being done on this deck in our house. Yeah. It it's got a little ways to go. It has there's definitely potential there and mm-hmm. it has some busted stuff it can do. Yeah, for but sure. It has a little it's, ways to go. That deck is just for those unaware, uh we're talking about a, it's a Saheli Rai Felidar Guardian deck that we threw in Karns, Narsets, and little Teferis into. Yep. So the curve of the deck, if you lay it out, it looks <laughs> it looks normal, right? Because you got your ones, and then you got your threes, and then you got your... Wait a minute. <laughs> we missed something. The deck Zero is, twos. The deck is just all ramp spells and three mana Planeswalkers and then four Felidar Guardians and four Karns. <laughs> that's, that's the deck. <laughs> So a little okay maybe maybe a little work needs to be done there to smooth that out but the deck it, it just feels too clunky at this point. Yeah, a little bit. Just in a little bit of like a disconnect between like the fact that uh, the fact that Narset can only get the Sihili half of the combo and not mm-hmm. the other half of the combo, I yeah. think ultimately is like the Well, Narset, no. It's got a lot of good hits and yeah. since we've added Karn to that deck <laughs> that does add like now nartic can find carts that win the game which right, is nice right right but as far as having the Sahili combo in there there's some like little bit like the bridge doesn't quite connect at the middle for for what that is trying to yep. do and i'm not totally sure how you get there but there's a lot of sweet stuff going on in the deck and i i bet at some point mm-hmm. the build will will be made to work no for sure so other stuff man it, it is Dilks' amulet deck is a little wild to me because this is definitely the no-serum-visions-to-hive-mind version. Dilks, I will say, and I think that more people should learn this lesson from Dilks, Mm -hmm. is that Dilks, he plays what he knows works for Mm -hmm. him. He doesn't really listen to all the chatter and all the buzz about, like, oh, everybody... Like, for example, what I did this weekend was that I... Trusted Aben Evan, who told me that I should be playing the Noxious version of mm-hmm. Phoenix. But it wasn't the Phoenix deck that I know how to play. Yeah. Um. So it wasn't right for you. So it wasn't right for me, and I made mistakes, and, and it cost me turn of equity because I made that last-minute swap. Mm-hmm. Dilks never does that. He, yeah. He he thinks that everybody else is ridiculous, and uh, he knows what's best, and he plays what he knows. Yeah. And... Clearly, It freaking works for him. Clearly, that works out way better than what other yeah. people are doing, where everyone's like, okay, Karn looks new and interesting. Let's try that out. And Dilf is like, well, I don't know all the play patterns for Karn. I'm just going to do what I know and do it as well as I know how to do it. And um, just lock up another yeah. top eight. So I think that like building decks in ways that suit your understanding mm-hmm. of how the deck plays out and your understanding of the lines that you like have a preference towards is definitely something that we should all be doing more than we do right now. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. I just the thing that jumps out to me is like if you're going to kill somebody with Hive Mind in this deck, you just have to draw your Hive Mind like as in during a draw step. Like <laughs> yes. that's the only way that, <laughs> right. that Hive Mind ends up in your hand. Yeah, no way to find it. There's and just, it's just two of. So yeah. maybe we get there. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe not. Right. Once you have the Hive Mind, you you know you have ways of finding your packs. You know you can. Oh yeah. You can transmute for them. It's great. But, um, but yeah, the the two hive minds is certainly interesting. But I don't know, you know, it works for him. Yep, he understands it totally. So and it clearly wins him matches a pretty easily. Matches. So yeah, yeah. And <laughs> every time I think he's lost in either quarters or semis, and every time I feel like I've either been watching those matches or they've been on camera and I've watched them like later, mm-hmm. and he gets ridiculously unlucky in topics. It. It's crazy. <laughs> no, it's true. I definitely, but you wouldn't be able to tell how unlucky he's getting by watching him play because I've seen him on some Swiss camera matches where he's gotten like quite lucky. And he has the exact same expression on his (laughs) face. He like looks at his card and just sort of like does that like lean back in the chair, like (laughs) taking in his hand out of the like corner of his eyes sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And then either he's going to kill you or he doesn't. You can't. It's it is impossible to read him. I don't really ever want to play against him (laughs) because that's terrifying. Cool. I usually have an idea of what's going on on the other side of the oh, table. Oh, for sure. Yeah, you can feel it. I I can see Dilk's hand on coverage, and I have no idea what's going on on his <laughs> side of the table. Yeah, because because it's Amulet and uh. right. So I mean, so that's part of <laughs> it. And mood, also, but... right, yeah. no, hilarious. Monored Phoenix showed up a little bit on coverage more than in results this weekend. I know you played yeah, that deck a little bit. Um, I did play it a little bit. Uh... This is the like super prowess heavy like. Eight one drops and a couple right. of bedlam revelers and that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. I tried it out before the weekend and it was really rough because it just doesn't have the consistency that I know that regular Phoenix has. Yeah. Um, but it might have been true that this was just a Phoenix deck that is way better for the playstyle I tend towards, which is the fact that it's just really aggressive Phoenix and yeah. you're just always playing it as the beatdown strategy. And I know those lines pretty well. So. And planning two turns ahead and combat math and that yeah. sort of thing. Right, right. That's all sort of, mm-hmm. yeah. But the consistency wasn't quite there from when I was testing it. You like really need a creature on turn one. Yeah. And you're only running eight. So it's just not a guarantee by any stretch. And I, you, you just don't have the like card advantage to justify mulliganing towards one drops. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't right i don't know yeah i wonder if there is some way of building this deck that you add another color to give you more one drops and they're not going to be prowess one drops because there aren't any other ones (laughs) but i don't know if that means that like there's a death shadow version of the deck or there's a delver (laughs) that sounds terrible but (laughs) yeah delver secrets (laughs) yeah i don't know um i think that i think that the deck is just constructed how it needs to be it Mm -hmm. seems pretty clean yeah um it just doesn't have enough of the prowess. One, it drops, just like. it. Well, I think more of the problem is that the difference of power level of the deck between being able to play one on turn one mm-hmm. and not is yeah. massive. Um, so that's kind of scary. But yeah, yeah. The one thing that we I think all did learn from that deck is that the X spell, the finale mm-hmm. is very good. Yeah, yeah. Um, finale of promise. Yeah, finale of promise is really strong. I think that it belongs as a, like a one or two of in just regular phoenix as well. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, and it's it's fundamentally even better in mono red phoenix because you have so few ways of getting card advantage yeah. or like picking and choosing what your plays are and that gives you that. That deck really needs it. Yeah. Um the other deck is just like, you know, they can have access to it if they want a powerful effect. Right. Yep, yep. Um okay, so plenty of modern stuff. We will definitely be back with that probably next week i'll just be like here is what here's here's where we are now this is my 75 cards for phoenix that i'm pretty close to on and and that's you know i i it's pretty unlikely that i'll end up on a non blue red phoenix deck for this invitation it just wouldn't make sense i think i i think i would be giving up too much equity in my ability to play whatever deck i show up with and going to a tournament with blue eye control, knowing I'm not going to enjoy my matches is like, I think for you, Chris, probably it's, just, pretty bad. it's really clear that you should play just the Phoenix deck that you think is best yeah, position for sure. I, I think that's probably going to happen. Yeah. That I guess it's just great. Phoenix is just great. Yep. You know, it was in the finals, Drake Sasser. Yep. Um. You know, it, it can get you there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And you know what? Like, if I run into somebody who's just really prepared, if I run into the mirror and they're just like, well, I've got four Pyromancer Ascensions and two Surgicals, and I'm just like, okay, well, I wasn't supposed to win this one. <laughs> sure. That's right. not what I identified as present <laughs> in the metagame, and I'm going to lose to it. Yeah. No, for sure. Um, but yeah. As so far as standard goes. Standard. I do not have any idea what deck I'm going to, you know, I'm <laughs> pretty sure I'm going to play Phoenix Yeah, in in Modern. Mm-hmm. Kind of no idea. Probably the, whatever deck I end up playing in Standard just literally doesn't exist yet. It, it might not. Standard is moving at lightning speed. Yeah. Um, I, we may have Arena to thank for this. No, for sure. <laughs> um, and I think it's great. Yeah. Uh, you know, everybody's jamming a bunch of Standard all the time. It's constantly evolving and changing. There are, like, relevant tournaments in various, you know, other areas of the world mm-hmm. or other, you know, like, tournament series or whatever. All of the time. Yeah. Um, so everybody's all, like constantly has like a very valid reason to be jamming a lot of standard. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> coming out of the weekend of uh, Syracuse, the two pillars were uh, Jess Skywalkers, mm-hmm. thanks to Zan, and Mono Red still. Thanks to being Mono Thanks to. Uh, Experimental frenzy, yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, and light of the stage, and uh, Goblin of chain whirler, and okay, it's no, got anyways. a lot of good cards. <laughs> yeah. in it. The deck is just good. Yeah, um, you have to play a few bad cards to make the good cards work, but kind of, kind of. I mean, fanatical firebrand and uh, Gitu lava runner are not like all-stars get your lava runner when you hit like three in a row off of a frenzy is insane but <laughs> yeah no, in not sure. those circumstances <laughs> it's not a great card no i i understand um even though i draft them way too high in dominaria I but mean, anyways <laughs> that deck though yeah <laughs> the deck is nice yeah um so yeah so so those are definitely two popular decks right now another uh major pillar is the Dreadhorde decks mm-hmm. um those are pretty popular um, people are kind of branching out and figuring out that all of the mid range decks need to have a pretty high density of planeswalkers in them. Yeah, um, I mean, it, I was taking a look at like the classic top eight, which just kind of is representative of the kinds of decks people show up to tournaments with, yeah. if not, you know, the most successful decks necessarily. But it really is mono red aggro and then heavy planeswalker based yeah. decks right. five color Dreadhorde, Jeskai Super Friends mono green with 10 planeswalkers right uh whoa no with 14 planeswalkers okay (laughs) yeah so um no for sure uh yeah planeswalkers are everywhere and everybody's kind of trying to out mid-range each Mm -hmm. other or go over the top with like these big with command the dread horde or with mass manipulation or with you know this mono green deck is like a i believe this is a no not the mono green deck but i mean the, the both this mono green deck and also this golgari midrange deck have this land destruction plan yeah. so like especially this golgari deck you know i saw golgari midrange and i was like well golgari's got to be doing something kind of weird to keep up in this meta game and what it is doing is it has four field of ruins and four assassin's trophies and is just taking advantage of people with no basic lands in their deck yeah Three casualties of war and just mana <laughs> Yeah, when, when you get to play Sinkhole, yeah. it feels good. Yeah, against um, against the mid-range decks that are all like three, four, five right, mana yeah, multicolored yeah. spells. Right. Yeah, so definitely a mid-range grindy fest. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of weird feel-bads, though, it feels like right now in Standard, because the more you try... To win the mid-range arms race, mm-hmm. the worse you are against red. Yeah, that's the big thing to be solved going into yeah. I- the Invitational weekend, right? So it's it it and that it feels bad because when you're like say you queue up for a league, you like you okay, so you hedge a little bit more against all these like mid-rangey decks, and you start beating them, and then you play against red twice, and you you can't win. Yep. And then you you know you go back down a little bit and you're like okay we need to be a little better against red it just it's so hard to find that like space in between where it starts to feel like you just have to pick one of the rock paper scissors you know elements of just like okay you know which decks do I want to beat and which deck am I just going to accept that I'm going to lose to yeah and this is why I believe that the deck that I sleeve up for the invitational is likely one that does not exist yet. Because, and this may not happen, Mm -hmm. but the thing that I want to figure out is how do I put together a deck that both is happy when my opponent casts Planeswalkers against me and is happy when my opponent casts to Lava Runner against me. Those yeah. are like the two things right. that I want to figure out how to make my deck good against. And it's only two things. So you would think that there's some way to come up with that. Yeah. Um, and the closest that I've come to figuring something out is like Gruel with a lot of haste guys. Yeah. And I don't know. While that does feel like, okay, it matches up against these two things well. You end up with ultimately a kind of low powered deck just mm-hmm. your cards mm-hmm. aren't quite as good as a lot of the cards that other people yeah. are running yeah for sure uh i did a little bit of testing on gruel today mm-hmm. i really like it okay um i think that gruel is definitely one of the better position decks for exactly the reason that you just mentioned yeah i i was pretty happy to play against planeswalker decks because all my dudes have haste and yep. also the deck beats up on red pretty well your guys um, are just a little bigger than theirs and that's good enough yeah uh the one deck that does end up giving you problems though is seems to be these uh wild growth walker dread horde decks mm-hmm. because if a wild growth walker gets out of control yeah you just have no recourse you, like if he ever gets to five toughness it becomes very difficult to get off the board yeah um is it mostly the wild growth walker just raw that's killing you or are you getting commanded out of the game or what's what's sort of the sequence that happens there um mostly commanded out of the game okay um so i'm wondering about uh and I hate. I've hated this card in the past. Oh, no. Are you about to say Silent Gravestone? No. Okay. <laughs> I'm about to say Death Gorge Scavenger. Death Gorge Scavenger. Okay. All right. So. I can see it. Worth considering, I For think. Sure. Um, well, yeah. I think that if if we can have a combination of scavengers and just, like, a density of removal spells that hit mm-hmm. um, the wild growth walker i think that will be pretty well set up yeah you know we're gonna have four lava coils in the 75 absolutely yeah uh, although it is hard to run so many lava coils main deck because having your removal spells also be able to finish off planeswalkers is like yeah, really important no, for sure. so right. the balance there is difficult <laughs> to find yeah um yeah no the 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 splits that I've liked have been just for Lava Coils and the sideboard. Yeah. And I'm not really messing around with anything main. I think that I've got, like, two Shocks and two Lightning Strikes in the main Mm -hmm. right now, which seems to be working out. And you're just mostly Haste guys. and Oh, yeah. A bunch of Haste guys. So I saw that you had started on Nissa's. Is that still, like, a place you want to be Yeah, I want to talk about Nyssa for a second. I think Nyssa's broken. Nyssa's just, in, it's just yeah. a really good card. I think, right, and I think that people have kind of taken a while to figure that out. Mm-hmm. And the people who have figured it out have it in, like, weird builds of, like, it's either in mono green or it's in uh, mass manipulation green blue. Mm-hmm. And those decks are all good and, like, really, really good at utilizing Nyssa, but you don't need to be all in on making Nyssa good for Nyssa to be good. This yeah. is just great. I I you know a lot of people have just conceded to my turn five Nissa and it was all, literally all it was doing was just making a three three haste every turn. Yeah, it's just that <laughs> yeah. three three haste kills one of their cards, right? And then you just threaten to make more. Yeah, um, yeah, it, it's super good at taking down opposing planeswalkers. It's just really good at keeping on the pressure that the deck is already you know putting on. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I just I just think that uh, this Nissa is really strong. I started off with Sarkin as my other five drop. Yeah, but I actually switched to Skargan Hellkite. Yeah, it's just a um, one turn faster at doing that thing. Yep, uh, Skargan Hellkite I've found is it's just another haste threat, which is really important. Mm-hmm. Sarkin often. Can't come down and just kill their guy unless you have another Planeswalker in play, which is not great. Mm-hmm. Um, and also in the Mirror, if you if you have a five five Skargon Hellkite, your opponent just can't just can't win. can't win. You just can't win. It's crazy. I was like I, I was playing it. You know, I was like considering. I was like, okay, this this option between Sarkin and Skargon Hellkite is like close and blah blah blah. And then I played the Mirror a couple of times, and every time my opponent was just like, all right, five five Dragon. And I'm looking at my Sarkin that's a 5 uh, that's a four-four that makes a four-four dragon. And like the only scenario in which I was able to beat it was when I had Domri and Sarkin, and all of my dudes are five power. Um <laughs> I mean is... Domri does solve a lot of the like situations that should be really good against you. It just Fair. like does Fair. little weird things and yeah. you're like, oh, this extra power just really it's like, made... oh, I was able to fight their guy. That's yeah. great. Yeah. <laughs> Everything that matches up badly matches up like pretty well for me now. Right. You can't run too many Domri's because they are kind of air, but yeah, when they work they work i was really impressed with army yeah for sure i might go down to two but i i liked three you kind of want to have access to one mm-hmm. most games yeah yeah it's like pretty medium against like esper because they just kill all your other stuff and leave you with a domri and they're not on counter spells anyways so his ability doesn't matter that much yeah but against most of the other stuff and whenever you like fight a thing with domri you just really feel like oh, you're it doing it great. yeah so no, for sure for sure um, so yeah, so that's, like, I, I think that I'm gonna probably end up on Skargon Hellkites for that other 5-drop slot. And you do, you do need a, a good amount of fat in this deck. Yeah. Because it, just the lower-to-the-ground guy's, you know, they'll be blanked. Right. Spellbreaker um, is insane. Spellbreaker is insane, for sure. Uh, I, I was actually more of a fan of, so I did a league with just Growth Chamber Guardians, mm-hmm. and I did a league with just Thorn Lieutenants. Mm-hmm. And I think I it's I'm pretty happy with Thorn Lieutenants at this point. I'm pretty happy just running four Thorn Lieutenants as my other two drop, um, and then the Zurtog Goblin, mm-hmm. because the games that you have Nyssa... And one of those two, like, I was like, okay, like I the reason that I like switched over and tried out the Growth Chamber Guardians was because, like, oh, Nyssa gives you so much mana, you I can just make a bunch of four fours. Mm-hmm. But that mana mana's just great with you just sink the, it into your uh with the huh. with the Thorn Lieutenant. Okay. So you can like attack with some vigilance, uh, forests, and then tap them to add a bunch of mana to, for your guy. It's great. And the gap between Growth Chamber Guardian and Thorn Lieutenant in the mono red matchup is huge just miles. It's yeah, it's so. really huge. And then in the matchups where it like doesn't really matter, it's just a two drop that's attacking. Mm-hmm. And you know You weren't gonna spend your Lieutenant's mana fine on yeah. on adapting right. for several turns anyways, right. probably. Yeah. The Thorn Lieutenant's just fine. So um pretty happy with that one. And then the one other slot that is still a debate for me in that deck is the Legion of War boss. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. I think maybe some number of them in the 75 is probably good. I was running four in the main. It might be correct to run four in the main, but I don't know. There's so many matchups where that card is just my insta-board out, which kind of feels bad. Yeah. Um, Just like any creature matchup. Mirror, Mono Red. The Mirror, Mono Red, and any of the Jade Light Ranger uh, decks, they're just like, they're terrible. The fact that it's not that good against... Command the Dreadhorde, which is one of the main Planeswalker decks, I yeah. think is a pretty big strike against the main deck yeah. inclusion of it. Mm-hmm. But, since you're War Elves deck, it is no, it's, really good in the matchups. It's good. Against. It's just great on turn 2, kind of always, yeah. which is nice, but so is your other 3-drop. Right. It doesn't really matter what your 3-drop is on turn 2. Yeah, it's even Domri, like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, my board doesn't exist yet, right. but oh, wait yeah. <laughs> a turn. And... Right. Turn 3 is going to be nutty. Yeah. Yeah, so... One card I was considering trying out, especially and I'm I'm even more considering this if I'm switching over to Sarkin or well, I'll have to figure out if, if I like this better with Sarkin or with Scargan because this their synergies both ways, but mm-hmm. the small small Vivian, I think, might be an interesting inclusion in that deck. Okay. I have maybe like some small number of them. I don't know. I just wanna try it out because yeah. I've been looking for other powerful three drops to have that aren't Legion War boss. Vivian and has a, tough. a medium-sized problem, which is that her static ability doesn't work when there's a Teferi in play on the other side. Sure. And, you know, it's yeah. not necessarily the biggest deal in the world, yeah. but it's certainly taking away a little bit of the power level of that card. Right, for sure. And the other problem is that you can't have too many Planeswalkers that don't right. add to the board in your deck. Because your, your power from the deck really does come from getting boots on the ground before your opponent. Yeah. And Domri doesn't do that. And nope. Nissa doesn't do that. So that might just be a brick. So I don't know. But I'll be trying something. Well, so. Vivian doesn't do that, you mean? Nissa does do that. Vivian does. I will always I mix up those two. Yeah, i so, just going to keep you on your <laughs> I knew what there. you meant. <laughs> yeah, but... yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. and when I was playing previous versions of Gruul, I was so Planeswalker heavy that I just kept considering Vivian and then being like, I just... I have, you, eight, can't, I have nine, eight, nine Planeswalkers in right. my deck. Like, I just don't have enough hits for this card. Right, right, right for sure. So, you got to get that raw number of hits first. And, yeah, I, I do think, like, the deck plays so poorly from behind. You're not able to make up for, you know... I I mean, I think Bant Flash is a very poor deck. But one thing that it <laughs> yeah. does to make up for, like, the Temple loss of Vivian is, like, okay, well, I'm... I lost a little tempo, but I do but have here's plenty a million of mana, four force. And <laughs> here's all these four force. Right. It has <laughs> yeah. O'Ketcher to just be like, here's a board. Right. And right. you don't have that no. option in Gruul. Yeah. So sure. you gotta keep you gotta stay at parity. You gotta do efficient trades and you use your removal spells well. Mm-hmm. And um and Collision Colossus is the answer of Scargan Hellkite in the mirror, by the way. So Oh, yeah. Good point. I never really ran enough of that card. I, I was always like I had a, I had none, and then I added one, and then I, like, really should have added another one, but I couldn't find room for it. But every time, there'd just be, like, a Lyra in play, and I'd be dying to it, and I'd be like, I really need to be more disciplined in my deck building here. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I had none in the initial 75 that I played, but, um, yeah. It just... I don't want to run any of them, but Mm -hmm. I think you have to find room for a couple, at least. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, so my, my initial build felt really loose. I, like... I was, like, scratching my head over, like, all these numbers, and then I was like, you know what, I just need to play a league mm-hmm. with some of, like, some version of this. Yeah. So I just, like, threw in a bunch of cards that I wanted to play with, jammed it, uh, 5 50 it was great, but, <laughs> but I still, it was like, I'm so far away, and the list was so loose, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, you get that. You you know first you first time I had the magic. You I had the magic of the first time I was playing right, right, a deck right. on, on Magic Online, so it was great. Gives you confidence and yeah, lets yeah. you figure out what's good and what's bad. Right. That's great. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, hopefully this maintains. And with no like major standard tournaments coming up, it's just the arena churn that we have to deal with. But I I do anticipate the decks that I'm worried about at the Envy still being planeswalker decks and mono red yeah and i think haste guys that are bigger than mono red's creatures is a fine place to be yeah the problem with the gruel v mono red matchup is i mean and this is everybody's problem with their mono red matchup once they're like my cards match up against mono red's cards really well and then they're just like here is an experimental frenzy (laughs) um (laughs) oh no (laughs) so yeah that it's more of a play pattern thing. You need to figure out exactly when to stop answering their stuff and exactly when to start racing them, mm-hmm. and that can be a little bit tough. But at least with all the haste guys, you can turn it around pretty quickly. And Nissa sure. is secretly insane against mono red. So yes, yeah, no, uh, agreed. Uh, well yeah and this is just secretly insane against everybody yeah Yeah. it's just so good it's really really good especially if you get it out a turn early and you're just like making three three haste right and the mana sinks of um even just having the mana sinks of skargan Hellkite uh and uh, thorn lieutenant that's enough right you you, like you have mana sinks and That's... that's just all you need right and if you're you know if you're shooting like two or three things a turn with skargan it's that's a lot of damage. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's that's too much card advantage. Like right. you can't really come back from that. Yeah. Every time I've killed something with Skargan Hellkite, mm-hmm. it's felt like I locked the game up. So. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, or just your opponent, you know, just kill him. Yeah. It's, it's just like oh, your six to <laughs> three <laughs> pew, activations. Pew, pew, pew. <laughs> yeah, I mean I all that stuff really makes me pretty on board with Skargan Hellkite. Like I've loved Sarkin in, in Gruel. I think given the cards that you're playing against and the cards that you want in your deck, mm-hmm. like Hellkite, just makes a lot of sense right now. Yeah, that's it's got my vote. So we've got some Modern Horizon spoilers. I don't yeah. know how much time we want to spend on this because we have, you know, we've already got a healthy podcast going so far. Nice. Um, but we do have some pretty cool cards. Uh, so last week we kind of missed by like ten minutes or something. <laughs> Urza, Lord High Artificer. Yeah. This is a dude. There's just like a cycle of. Just, like, mythics with just a lot of text right. is, I guess, the unifying <laughs> yeah. theme here. Um, Urza is 2 blue-blue for 1-4 legendary creature. When it enters the battlefield, you create a Karn construct token, basically zero zero. that gets plus 1-plus one, 1 for all your artifacts. Urza also has tap an untapped artifact you control, add a blue, and 5 mana. You shuffle your library, then exile the top card. Until end of turn, you may play that card without paying its mana cost. So it is bodies, mm-hmm. like a completely reasonable pair of bodies, a 1-4 sure. and a co- Construct. It is mana. You get a blue mana for all of your artifacts, and it's a mana sink if you don't have a good place to sink that mana into. Yeah. Um. It also goes infinite with a bunch of stuff, most notably with Thopter Sword combo. You yep. get infinite mana, infinite life, infinite 1-1s, and you get to play your deck. Yeah. Uh, so you can beat anything right i assume you did it you You, went infinite you got there right (laughs) this card seems extremely playable and extremely breakable to me yeah uh seems you know definitely seems uh, pretty up there on power level it just does a bunch of stuff and has a lot of combo potential so that's always nice i'm kind of surprised that they printed this card honestly because like i'm surprised that they printed the next card yeah a little sad (laughs) to be honest (laughs) um yeah i mean so so Rather yeah. than spending forever talking about any particular card, Urza yeah. is going to be good. It's yeah. going to go into prison decks. It's going to go into, like, artifact combo decks. Mm-hmm. It will yield a lot of Mux Opal shenanigans. Mm-hmm. It kind of feels like on. that along with uh, Psy, Master yeah. Softress. Like, now we're starting to talk about just like a, you know a lot of threat density in these artifact decks which right is nice. that's not vulnerable to stony silence or right. anything at all like it yeah. it's around a lot of the hate and that's pretty powerful mm-hmm. and also just like it gives you two bodies if you're getting beaten down yeah and you have to untap with this so you get to block with the construct and, and you're gonna play it in a deck with a lot of artifacts so that construct is gonna be big it's easily like a five five or something yeah for yeah. sure and also the turn this comes down you get to like make mana with your welding jars and stuff <laughs> yeah, right. Like that's wild yeah to me. <laughs> Anyways, um, so the next one is Yawgmoth, Thran Physician. Uh, mm-hmm. Two black black for a 2-4 legendary creature, human cleric. Protection from humans. Uh, he has pay one life, sacrifice another creature. You put a minus one, minus one counter on up to one target creature, and you draw a card. Black black, discard a card, proliferate. So mm-hmm. two different activated abilities. Um, this is like one of the most powerful sacrifice outlets we've seen Like this, in a while, yeah. Like, this comes close to where I would say, like, modern would require a card like this to be, yeah. Um, you get a, a card and a counter. Right. for sacrificing a creature you and you know? don't Manic. have to put the counter anywhere which right. is really nice because right. if you if you're playing a matchup where you're just trying to draw cards off your dudes and yeah. not trying to mow down all your opponent's creatures you don't need them to have creatures yeah you don't, yeah, you don't do need to have them to have creatures but if your opponent does have creatures then they just lose they're them all. all gonna die yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah so even though you're losing that life you're like getting back a lot of tempo here yeah uh token strategies in modern have not traditionally been very powerful but it may have been partially because they lacked a powerful engine right. if all you're doing is like slowly killing your opponent after you thought seize them a couple of times. <laughs> yeah. You know. I mean, that deck has existed for a while. I'm not impressed with black-white tokens in modern. <laughs> fair, fair. Yeah. We're going to thought seize you a lot, and then we're going to play Lingering Souls once. And really and just twice. hope that this four-power the attack with the guys four. gets there. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> no, for sure. Yeah, so this card is definitely super powerful and also, I think, pretty targeted towards humans. It's got pro-humans. Uh, it is great against is humans. mostly um, means that it can't get Reflector-maged like kind of more than anything else, true. I feel <laughs> yeah, like. Yeah, no, the pair, for sure. But um, I, I, it blocks, I mean, it yeah. blocks. And I I I wouldn't be surprised to see a couple of decks run this in the sideboard. Mm-hmm. Um, just like Cord Calling decks and stuff. Uh, oh, yeah, it's great to Cord for. Yeah, you trade in your, like, mid-game birds and stuff mm-hmm. for cards and oh yeah that's Caleology that's like pretty good yeah for sure i dig it yeah just like abzan quarter calling yeah. i think could easily slot this in somewhere for sure um yeah so it seems strong yeah i and honestly like this black black discarded card proliferate thing like it enables that to work if you like sacrifice a couple of creatures put minus one minus one counters on like two or three other guys and then activate this once and you just wipe their board yeah that's like he works with himself really nicely. And yeah. Yeah, I definitely see this seeing play, which is pretty cool for a 4-mana 2-4 like random human dude yeah. with some abilities. It's just a lot of abilities. So. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um. Next up, we've got another mythic. We've got Ranger Captain of Eos. This is one white-white for a 3-3 three, three human soldier. When it enters the battlefield, search your library for a creature card with converted mana cost one or less, reveal it, put it into your hand, shuffle your library, uh, and sacrifice Ranger... Ranger Captain of Eos, your opponent can't cast non-creature spells this turn, which I am mostly envisioning doing in response to a Terminus Miracle trigger. Oh, oh, yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah, so this card is really strong. It feels like Um, it to me, This card is really, really strong. Yeah. Uh, It slots pretty much exactly into the slot of humans that we've been struggling to figure out for a long time now. We keep on seeing like people playing like you know, two Thalia Heretic Thars, or two Militia buglers. Militia buglers, yeah. or two Anafenza. Like we haven't really figured it out. Once this is legal, it's going to be this card. Yeah, um, they've been very self consciously not putting Human on the type right. line of like decent cheap white creatures. Yeah, this one has Human on the type. No, this line. one has Human. It you know it's going to tutor for another relevant Human, and I think it's going to be great and i can just so easily tell that tom ross designed this card it just it, it's just so clear to me that tom ross yeah. was having a field day with and this card cuz he much... loves ranger Vios. Mm-hmm. uh and uh you know here it is in you know in classic tom ross fashion yep. yeah yeah and i mean that sacrifice ability is quite good mm-hmm. the you know which turn con- like you know Re- which turn really, can this sacrifice the ability is you. really good yeah, yeah. it's it's I'm I'm kind of amazed that they printed this it's, card, it's, to be honest. It's very yeah. powerful. All I right. mean, it, it requires a little bit of modern metagame knowledge to mm-hmm. do, but like, any time where you know you're presenting lethal on your next turn yeah. without this 3-3, right. then you just sacrifice it on their turn, and you're like, sorry, you, you, can, yeah. you can make some blockers, but blockers are terrible against humans anyways. Th- that sacrifice ability is backbreaking, I would say, against like 70% of the modern format. Yeah. Dredge needs to cast Conflagrate on the last turn of the game. Yeah. You just stop that from happening. Right. So it's pretty crazy. Yep. It, pretty wild card. It does only get your one drops. So not all the time is are you going to cast this and be like, all right, great. I get a champion or a noble hierarch. One of these is going to be insane. So that may influence deck building a little bit. Like maybe a Thraven Inspector gets into the deck or something like sure. that. Um, maybe one uh okay i didn't put this on the list but the new mother of runes not a human but maybe you end up with one in the list to give you another one drop and has some utility it's removal something like that but actually i could see people running like a one of three even, mm-hmm. if they're running this card um but just Getting a champion yeah. on curve is it's just great. fine. Like champion um, is only bad when you draw it and you're completely out of gas. Right. It's fine in the middle of the game where yeah. you're still going to make a couple more humans. As you're curving out, you often, you know, have cast a three and then have like a couple of more creatures in your hand. Mm-hmm. And you can like have an extra mana here or there to play your champion. And then right. it's going to be a 3-3 three, three and then a 4-4, four, four, you know um so, right. so this may just be fine pretty much always getting yeah an extra champion yeah i think that would be very reasonable for sure yeah yep. um card's good yep there's scale up green sorcery until end of turn target creature you control becomes a green worm with base power and toughness six four Infect likely gonna run a couple of copies of this. This card <laughs> this card is, is definitely cool and, and we'll see play in Infect, but it it's slot in modern is like pre decided. Yes. And it's not that exciting. It's like, yeah, Infect's got a new four of pump spell. Hooray, next. <laughs> um it is also not impossible and, and it also doesn't like really solve Infect's actual problems. Like mm-hmm. Infect is pretty good at pumping his creatures up to lethal. Which yeah. makes it slightly better at that, it's still gonna lose to like the opponent that's hand whose hand is all like fatal pushes and yeah. and bot seizes or yeah, whatever. Yeah. I will say though that the difference between a plus four and a plus five is pretty significant yeah. in effect. You only need two pump spells right. to get your to make your one one into a ten ten then. Right. So that's good. Yeah. It's very strong. Uh, it also may actually see a little bit of play in boggles. Because it is the hugest pump spell that you can possibly play in Boggles. And I think it legitimately speeds up your clock by a turn in matchups where you need to do that. Um, I could see it. That's but interesting. Pretty niche sort of yeah. use for that. And, and I don't really care if people use this in Boggles. It's not <laughs> yeah. going to affect my life very right. much. <laughs> for sure. We've got Collector Oof. One in a green for a 2-2. Oof. With activated abilities of artifacts can't be activated. We have a Stony Silence. We have a Oof. Stony Silence you can Court of Calling for. Yes, that's big. That's really big. For sure. Um, you know, we also have a Stony Silence that you can Green Sun Zenith for, which is relevant for other formats. For, for other formats, yeah. yeah. This, this is definitely going to get Green suns out yeah. in other formats, for sure. Absolutely. People are going to be very excited to have this in their elf sideboard. Yeah. Or whatever. We also finally got Eladomri's Call into Modern. Green-white for an instant, search your library for a creature, put it into your hand. Oh. Just a super, you know, I guess not super efficient because two mana in Modern is quite a bit. Yep. But it's about as straightforward an application of that like creature tutor spell that you can possibly have. Yeah, um, And maybe Cord is mostly better than it in most decks. But in decks that don't have like a lot of cheap creatures and just have like a package of stuff. And I don't know exactly how that works in a green-white deck. But, um, you know, we have different options for tutoring that don't rely on you having a bunch of one-drops in your deck. And that's kind of nice. No, for sure. And that probably raises the value of hate creatures like Collector Oof. So, Mm. I really am kind of pumped to try. And this may go nowhere, but (laughs) uh, Aria of Flame. This is two a red for an enchantment. When it enters the battlefield, each opponent gains 10 life. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, put a verse counter on Aria of Flame. Then it deals damage equal to the number of verse counters on it to target player or planeswalker. So, any cantrippy blue-red deck, whether we're talking Storm or we're talking about blue-red Phoenix here, this is a card that dodges a lot of the ways that people try to stop you. It doesn't dodge you getting taxed by Thalia, but it does dodge graveyard hate, and Mm. it mostly dodges graveyard hate. So, on the fifth trigger... You're doing damage. You're yeah. you're netting damage. Yeah, because okay. the the first spell is one, second spell is three total, third spell is six total, fourth spell you're neutral. Then yeah. you've done ten. Okay, um, you can break that a little bit if you cast spells in response to the trigger. Ooh. If your opponent's like at you know ten or something like that, and yeah. you cast this with like five mana, and you go in in response to the trigger, you go like Bolt Lava Dart, Flashback Lava Dart, or something like that. Then that's three, four, five plus that's eleven damage in okay. response to the trigger. All right, so there's probably I dig it. there's some applications that cost five mana, but yeah. but this kills Narsets. You know, yeah. you play it and your opponent gains ten life, and then you're like, all right, I'm gonna use this to kill all your Narsets and then eventually kill you. Right. Um, it dodges any amount of graveyard hate. All you need to do to make this work is start casting your ops, and then you start getting there. It may just be that it's too often that you cast this and then they celestial purge it or whatever, and you're like, well, I just gained my opponent ten life. Three manas <laughs> a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Also, yeah, you're up ten life. Hilarious. Um, or if it like gets bounced by cryptic command after you've like triggered it twice or something, that's right. also not good. Yeah. Um, but I am excited to try this as a Narset killer. Uh, like having one sideboard slot that's both like good against Narset and good against graveyard hate might be a place that is important to have access to at some point so. yeah that makes sense so i like it for that just to talk about two more quickly um Kess dissident mage this is a sort of a port from legacy uh one blue black red for a three four with flying which you would never guess by looking at this card but it does have flying so right. do not attack phoenixes into it unless okay. you have a plan uh <laughs> During each of your turns, you may cast an instant or sorcery card from your graveyard. If a card cast this way would be put into your graveyard, exile it instead. So it basically gives you a Snapcaster trigger on your turn each turn. Yeah. Including the turn that it comes into play, as long as you have mana to use it. That's fair. So it's been a reasonable-ish, like, one-of card advantage engine in some legacy decks. Um, It is pretty mana-intensive. Being a four-mana creature, but can give you at least one card's worth of value the turn it comes into play. And then if it sits in play, I mean, you're doing it. Right. At five-mana also, you just cast this in Thought and it's really likely to sit in play. Yeah. so That's nice. um, I mean, this is one of the few ways you could convince me to try to build a Grixis deck in Modern. Yeah. So... (laughs) People have done it before. Yeah. It's not crazy. It just doesn't work out very often yeah. is all. Yeah, Grixis gets harder and harder the more cards are printed in modern, I feel like. But, it does. <laughs> um, but yeah. Yeah. It's just like, I'm playing three colors and I still cannot deal with this Pyromancer Ascension my opponent just cast yes. against me. <laughs> Bummer. But this card has a lot of power yeah. in it. So. Yeah. No, for sure. Oh, we've got storm slash burn hate card and weather the storm one in a green instant you gain three life storm i mean it's kind of cool it'll do a thing yeah it's really hard to grape shot somebody through this oh yeah i mean you can grape shot them but if they respond it's it's not gonna be a good time <laughs> you know you're yeah you're not happy all right um and also you know somebody like riff bolts you plays a a haste guy attacks and you're just like two mana gain nine life against burn right that's pretty good yeah and then finally we've got ren and six this is our first really playable two mana planeswalker i think yeah uh red and a green for a planeswalker three loyalty plus one return up to one target land card from your graveyard to your hand minus one deals one damage to any target Minus seven, you get an emblem with instant and sorcery cards in your graveyard have retrace. (laughs) And it just doesn't define retrace on the card. (laughs) Yeah. Everybody knows what retrace is. I didn't know what retrace did. (laughs) You can ditch a land to cast it. You can ditch a land to cast it from your graveyard. It turns them into like Raven's Crime has retrace. Yeah. Is is what it is. Gotcha. But this is like a two mana crucible of worlds that also provides utility against small creatures and threatens an ultimate that is like really powerful yeah if if you have a lightning bolt in your graveyard and you've been like sandbagging lands because you've gotten a land back every turn yeah you just get to bolt your opponent to death no yeah just immediately yeah yeah i i do think that this card is really strong yeah and i think that there are a couple of shells that it fits pretty well into mm-hmm. just like Valket just gonna love this card i think yeah and uh people were kind of laughing about the uh, I think one of the jokes that I initially saw from this card was that, like, oh, the last two mana Planeswalker only had one ability, uh, and this is just the same. It only has one ability. But the deal one damage to something and is... That's real. It's really relevant. If you're on the play, you just get to kill their bird or their noble hierarch or their champion, champion of the Champion Like, yeah, that's great. It, it can be really relevant. It kills phantasmal images all game long. Oh, yeah. Like, it, it does a thing. It, it pings down Narsets or whatever. Yeah. Like... It's not a lot of damage. Any target. You could just shoot anything. Like, yes, you have to build your deck primarily so that the plus one of this card is good. Right. That's easy. That involves having fetch length. Having fetch length. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. it. Right. Yeah. Um. And then beyond that, you know, if you're playing Ghost Quarters or whatever, mm-hmm. then this just has that much additional utility. The mm-hmm. Ghost Quarter does make this a little harder to cast sometimes, but it's yeah. fine. It's modern. We have our mana is good. And putting this card into legacy land seems really strong. Yeah. Just, like, yeah, Wasteland you have every turn. Bolt down your Delver. <laughs> you know, it's just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I really like... I do think that this kind of encourages some deck building in Modern of, like, archetypes that we don't really have access to yet. <laughs> like, I think Valakut is an obvious place where, like, it could do some stuff. Yeah. Valakut's not exploiting this card in a way that, like, some sort of life from the loamish Thing. I mean, this already is Life from the Loam, but maybe you want access, to, like, really consistent access to that sort of effect, or you even want to, like, double down on it because you're running the, like, the green, green, green seismic assault that makes bears instead of shocks or something like that. Like, who knows? Maybe we have a Modern Lands deck now, mm-hmm. and that would be really cool because it's yeah. not something we've had access to before. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I'm pumped. Cool yeah. cards I mean a lot of cool cards. I'm super excited to see what happens to modern. It's going to be way different. And yeah. I love it. I I really hope that this this does some like really fundamental stuff to the format just by like letting us build new decks. Honestly, yeah. All right, so for this week's Patreon question of the week, Lamp Gain asks, "What were some of your level up moments in Magic?" I know you have a couple of specific ones, so. The one that always jumps into my mind is uh, when I started thinking about magic kind of from a different context of the overall game plan. Mm-hmm. I think that the... And I think that everybody kind of goes through this like um, this level-up process where when you're first learning how to play magic, you need to learn... What I guess I now refer to as the language of magic. Mm-hmm. You need to like all of the subtleties of like sequencing your turn, playing your lands, you know, all of that stuff. You need to kind of have that down to a default. You need to have heuristics for all of those things. You need to be able to kind of just speak the language of it and you know, when you when you learn a new language and you get become fluent in that language, you don't really have to think about those things. You can your brain already translates those like, you know, small details into concepts. So You know, once you can transition like from really having to think about like, okay, what are the good attacks and blocks? What are like, what's the sequence I should cast my spells in? Like, which land should I play? Mm -hmm. You know, I think everybody gets to a point in playing Magic where they've played for so long that they don't really have to think about those like small things anymore, Mm -hmm. and that unlocks the ability to think about Magic from a broader context. And what I like to refer to as game plans mm-hmm. you know once you've once you've really become fluent in magic in the language <laughs> of magic the gathering where you don't have to like worry about your conjugations and all of this other stuff sure you can just you can express yourself you can, a little better exactly right so you can you know you can just start not worrying about all of, like the tiny little things and really start thinking like you know thinking about the things that really matter like oh what is my opponent bluffing here what are they representing you know yeah. what what is my plan uh right now and how can i you know enact that plan right now and then how is that going to translate into w- what i expect the game to look like a couple of turns down the road mm-hmm. how do i make everything go in that direction instead of like all of the very sequential specific steps that right that it takes to kind of get to that point so just yeah like learning the language of magic and becoming fluent in that language and not really having to worry about the the smaller details as much is like you know i think a very defining moment in everybody's magic career Mm -hmm. so yeah well and i know that like lsv has defined that sort of like hierarchy of like playing magic like like level one is like playing your cards Mm -hmm. and like level two is like understanding what your opponent's cards can do and then eventually you're like understanding that your opponent understands what your cards can do and your decisions that you're making and right and you 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 don't just have like a magic playing robot in front of you like playing (laughs) the cards that are in their hand that cost the mana that they have available right so yeah I, i think a lot of these things stem from that sort of conceptualization of the game um mine the one the level up moment that like keeps sticking in my head the most is like kind of a very specific one. I remember just like playing after a PTQ staying in a hotel room just like drafting packs with a couple of friends and this was like look we had like Time Spiral packs lying around or something like that. And so we were drafting them and one of my friends uh and I believe it was Tyler Mollenkopf, so nobody probably will recognize that that name but this this was just a good friend of mine and went to a lot of tournaments with him and uh he just beat the crap out of me and pretty much he just like played a couple of blockers and then just for the rest of the game he just played a five mana through three flyer every single turn of the game <laughs> until i was dead and That's i had good. i had had kind of a problem with my like limit understanding of limited and i i it was hard for me to get over the hump of like yes some cards are better than others some cards are a lot better than others But overall, as long as like a card trades for a card, it's like a card and that's like good enough. And so you're, you know, you got creatures, they can probably trade for a creature. You got a pump spell, maybe it lets you win a combat, trades for a card, like that's good enough. But his entire deck was constructed in such a way that like my stuff like Mog War Marshals just didn't do anything. My Mm -hmm. cards were just blanked because he was just like taking damage or blocking in ways that like I couldn't get any advantage. Meanwhile, his 3-3 flyers are just killing me. Like, I have, like, you know, a two-damage spell in my hand. I could trade that for a card. Mm-hmm. I can't trade that for the cards that matter this game. Yeah. Um, and so it really helped. Once I got over, like, you can't put that many 3-3 flyers <laughs> in your deck. And then realize, like, actually, like... Yeah, It was <laughs> great. It had all these 3-3 flyers in it. Um, once I got over that, then it, that helped me realize, like, okay... You can construct your deck in such a way that like, it blanks a lot of the stuff that your opponent might normally do against you. Or you really need to anticipate how your opponent's cards are going to blank your stuff. Um, and not all cards... I, I knew not all cards were created equal, but just trading for a card is not good enough even in Limited. Yeah. You have to visualize that game plan, and you have to make sure that your cards contribute to... Stopping your opponent or advancing what you're doing, and that was really a really helpful illustration. Just getting the crap beaten out of (laughs) you by those three three flyers really helped me. They're just all three three flyers. I Uh, was just so dead to (laughs) that. Yeah, hilarious. Well, cool. So yeah, that's that's mine. Kind of a small one, but one that made a big difference to me. Yeah, loved it. um so, awesome. Thanks to everybody so much for listening. Definitely going to give this a listen as I'm editing through it, and hopefully our sound quality has improved a little. Definitely any feedback that you guys have on that is, is certainly helpful. Um, thanks to everybody who's been signing up to the Patreon. If you would like to become a patron, you can head over to patreon.com slash grandcast. Or you can go straight to our website, mtggrindcast.com, where we've got links to the Patreon, to all of our old episodes, uh, to Collins' coaching services, if you want some one-on-one coaching. And uh, you can also find us on Twitter. I am tweeting from at CCR underscore grindcast. Collins is also on Twitter, at Collins Mullen. Thanks a lot for listening, and have a great week. Peace.